Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. One time when I was on my internship down in Phoenix, I interned at at one of our sister churches down there, and I did a sermon that they still talk about, um, in which I took off like a bunch of my clothes. It's a little awkward that they still remember that, but the point the point was that sometimes we come overly dressed to church in a way that maybe we're trying to impress people or and I was using my clothes as an illustration and underneath I had a shirt that said grace and but they just remember that I took my clothes off in church. <laughs> so sometimes your illustrations are memorable but for the wrong reasons. But you do your best. Uh, open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to begin there. And as we do, I want to give us first a little talk about what we're what we're talking about today and then give us some time to recap where we where we've been here in Hebrews because we're getting we're getting close to the end here and so there's been a lot of build up that's that's brought us to this place but as we talk about this passage I just want to prep you ahead of time that that this is to me what we're talking about this morning is pretty critical for understanding what it means to follow Jesus today and really what it means in, in any generation to, to follow Jesus. But it's also really hard. And the implications of this passage and these, these topics, this thing that we're going to be talking about today, if we take them seriously, which hopefully we do as, as we come here and we read Scripture and, and we hear the words of, of the Lord spoken to us through, through the Scripture if we take them seriously, sometimes the implications of what is being asked of us may be more than what we're ready for when we think about what it means to be a Christian. And, and so it gets really hard. And I say that as, uh, as someone who, as I'm preparing this and thinking that here's what I'm going to preach today, and I'm thinking about this all week, I'm thinking, I don't know, I don't know if I can do that. I don't, I don't know... If I can honestly ask people to to do this in a way that um, maybe I haven't done myself, and so uh, we'll get into that. That's that's where we're going. So you, if you want to leave now, uh, this is this is your chance. Join the kids or something. Uh, but just to recap where we are and how we've got here. So we've been, we've been working through Hebrews. We're chapter 11, so we've had 10 chapters ahead of us. And, and the author of Hebrews has been writing this letter to these Jewish Christians that are living in a world in which, which Christianity itself is very, very new and very just breaking into to the world. I mean, it's, it's within a generation of, of Christ's Christ's death and resurrection. So this is a new thing that's happening. And, and specifically, these Jewish Christians have, have been people who have grown up in, in the Jewish faith and going to synagogue and practicing and being a part of, of what it means to be the people of God 
for for their whole lives, but but for generations upon generations upon generations before them. This is what it means to be the people of God, and this is what this looks like. And and now something new has broken into the midst of that in in the person of Jesus Christ. And things are beginning to change. And part of the implications for how things are changing is implications for how they then understand what it now means to be the people of God. And and what what we did before is not necessarily what we need to do now because of the work of Christ on the cross. And so the sacrifices that were that were a part of who we were, the, the worship in the temple that were a part of who we were, are no longer necessary because those things have been fulfilled through the work of Christ on the cross. And in the midst of all of that change and turmoil and, and questioning and, and learning about this new thing, they have, they have their family members who may not have come to this same conclusion as them. And so there's some distance, there's some ostracization that's happening between their family members and themselves because they are still Jewish, but now we're Jews who believe in the Messiah and you are Jews who don't believe in the Messiah. And there's conflict there, as you would imagine, there would be conflict in a situation like that. But there's also this larger persecution that, that seems to be going on as we've been reading through that, that there are, there's, there's this pressure from outside of of Judaism and outside of Christianity that is is saying this thing that you are doing is not sanctioned by the state it's not sanctioned by the government and there's persecution happening that that we see we've seen already that our author is telling us that there's a possibility of even suffering and death and and shedding of blood and and pain so this is this is life and death stuff that they're dealing with here and in the midst of that as as we move into chapter 11 our author moves to this section on faith. And he's talking to them about what does it mean to live faithfully in the midst of all of, of what you're experiencing right now. And he begins to point back to, to people throughout the Old Testament who are examples and can be looked to as people of faith. And so we've, we've been looking for the last several weeks since Easter about, about Abel and, and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob these these forefathers of of uh, Judaism that that were examples, and our author is looking back to and saying, look look at the way this person was faithful. Look at how even in the midst of of uncertainty and and not knowing what was coming next, this person still chose to follow after God, still chose to live in faith. And so as we come now to to verse 23 of Hebrews chapter 11, this is what's been happening. We've been seeing these examples of faith. And now we come to Moses, who would have been Abraham and Moses were the were the two big ones, the two big guys in in Judaism is these are the examples of faith and these are the leaders of of our people and and the people that we look back to so we come to Moses and and we're told in verse 23 by faith Moses's parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. 
he, preser- he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover in the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. And it then continues with more stories of the Exodus. But we're really going to focus on these first parts of the story of Moses. And so as we do so, there's a lot of, of references that are alluding back to stories. And I invite you to turn now to, all the way back to Exodus chapter 2. And we're going to take a look at these stories that our author is telling us about. Go all the way back to the beginning, Genesis. And then the next one is Exodus chapter 2. Next to this chapter 2, we're in the midst of a situation in which the, the people of Israel have, the, the people that we looked at last week, the sons of Jacob, have now gone down into Egypt and they've been there for 400 years. And we're told that there's a king who, who doesn't remember Joseph and, and the, these patriarchs of, of the nation of Israel. And, and because of that, they see this nation multiplying and growing and they say, this is a problem they might fight against us, so we need to enslave them, and they, and they put them in slavery. And now uh, they get to this point where the king is so so concerned about what's going on. Uh, let's actually look in at chapter 1, verse 15. We'll see what's going on here. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Pua, When you help the Hebrew women in childbirth, observe them on the delivery stool. If it is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God, happy Mother's Day. So God was kind to the midwives and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all the people. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. So here's the situation that is happening. These people are enslaved, and Pharaoh is afraid that they're still still multiplying. And he's afraid that if they get too large, they're going to revolt. And so he says all the the male babies need need to be killed. And... And we read about how that was already, people resisted that. In chapter 2, verse 1, Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, which, by the way, uh, three months of hiding a child, uh, those of you that have had a three-month-old or a two-month-old know that they're not very quiet. Um, but somehow they managed to do it. And, but when she could no, hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him, coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile, which technically is obeying the, the law that Pharaoh said, right? Pharaoh said to put the babies in the Nile. And she did it, but she just put them on a boat um, on the way there. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. 
Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go get one of... This is Moses' sister. Shall I go get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. And the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. So here's this first part of of what's going on. We really only have one verse of this, but this is, I think, significant for us to pause on here, especially on a day like today, Mother's Day, as we stop and think about about what it was that, that Moses' parents did for Moses, and and not just the the act of faith that, that we're looking at here of of keeping the child alive, which we could say is just a natural instinct of most parents that that would be their desire to not just throw their baby into the Nile Um, and so but this act of faith that that then becomes I would say becomes a model for what we're going to see in Moses what we're told in Hebrews is that it's not just it's not just that they they kept their Bible or their, their baby alive it's not just that they protected him but that they they did so in a way that resisted against the the commands of the king and they were not afraid to resist the powers that threatened their lives this could have cost them as well and yet they saw something and they trusted god and they and they invested in the life of moses and i think as we as as moses here is is being held up as an example of faith it's important for us to pause and recognize that some somewhere along the line Moses learned what it meant to be faithful. And where do you think he learned that? Anybody? His mom and dad, right. He, he, he grew up with these examples. And I, I'm sure that as Moses was growing up in his, in his own home, but a son of Pharaoh, that his parents were feeding him and telling him, here is who you really are. And here is what's really going on in your world. And let me tell you the stories about our people. And let me tell you the stories of what God has done uh, to protect you up until this point. And they're, they're giving him the stories and they're giving him an example. He learned how to resist against Pharaoh. He learned who he was from parents. Who did the same? And I think it's important for us to, to reflect and to pause, uh, those of us who are parents, what is the example of faith that we are leaving to our children? And if you're not a parent, uh, but as Pastor Kevin already mentioned, perhaps you're, you're an adult in the church where we just saw those kids running out, and you have... You have a, a position of, of faith and you've been called and you've been a part of, of our church and you, you are a spiritual father, a spiritual mother to these children. And they look to us, adults, grown-ups, even teenagers, they are looking to you, these, these young kids are looking to you to know what does it mean to be a Christian in our world today? What, is it, what does this look like? What does faith look like and and when they see the way that we respond because they're always watching even if we don't think they are right 
And when they, they I'm going to tell this story. Uh, this is just an example. So yesterday, we, Rachel and I went over and, and ran the, the 5K over here at Krista. And afterwards, there was a drawing for, for free Mariners tickets. And, uh, and so we, you know, we turned in our thing, and there are other things that were being drawn for, too. Uh, and and they, they do the drawing, and they announce the name, and I just said, oh, that's garbage. You know, like, we didn't win, whatever. Uh, just kind of joking, like, I, I didn't really expect to win. But, uh, and, and Sam, sitting in the stroller, goes, garbage. <laughs> and then they, they did an, they're like, oh, we have more Mariners tickets, you know, and they draw another name. And it's somebody else again. And Sam goes, garbage. <laughs> he's watching. He, he, he sees how I respond when I'm frustrated. Right? He sees how I respond in, in all kinds of situations. And, and as we're talking about faith here, as we've been looking at Hebrews chapter 11, we've been seeing that faith is not just something that we say, hey, hey here's what I believe. And this is what I, here's here's the list of points the 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 list of things that I affirm and this is what my faith is but faith is the way that we live out what we believe. And and our our children are watching that and they're learning from us what does it mean to actually live out the things that we believe. And when when I get angry not just about something silly like that but like when I get angry as I'm driving down the road and somebody is, is doing something that, that impinges on what I feel like is my right and the way that I respond to that, they watch that and they see that. The way that I treat those who, who maybe I come across that, that seem to be hurting and, and the way that I ignore them or choose to, to show love to them or choose to make comments about them. Like, our children see those things. And our children see the way in which we practice our faith. In which we actually don't just say, like, here's what I believe about who Jesus was, but but actually live out what I believe about who Jesus was. And they learn that. And as we as we begin to look at the example of Moses... I think it's I think it's so fitting that our author begins first with Moses's parents. And he says by faith Moses's parents did not fear what the king might do to them. But they chose to protect their child. And there are all kinds of ways that we might fear consequences of what, what it means to live out our faith. And yet, the calling, the invitation, uh, what, what's happening here in Hebrews chapter 11 is in the midst of your persecution and suffering, continue to remain faithful. In the midst of your hardship, in the midst of your loss, in the midst of your joys, what does faith look like for you? And are you modeling that for your children? I think some of even even now, as I watch uh, the choices that some of my par- the, some of the choices that my parents make, it's it's an example of faith for me, and it's it's a challenge to what does it really mean to live this out in my life. And I see them making choices on faith, and 
uh, I'm still learning. And then we come uh, to the next part of, of our story here. So we've, we've read about Moses and his parents. Verse 11. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Glancing this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Uh, and the story goes on of, of what happened to Moses in the wilderness. Uh, I don't know if you noticed this as we were looking in Hebrews, but there's a whole lot more to the story of Moses than what we've just read. And yet the author of Hebrews really really focuses on, on what, we, what we've just looked at as the example of faith for Moses. I mean, the story goes on that Moses is out in the wilderness and he encounters God in the burning bush. And then he gets sent back to Egypt and he confronts Pharaoh and he stands up in front of him and, and challenges him. And there's, there's the plagues and eventually the people are let out in the wilderness. And for years, Moses is leading these people in all kinds of examples of faith that we could draw from the life of Moses. And yet the, really the only example that our author is, is leading us to is the way in which Moses chose to forsake who he was as, as a privileged child in the house of Pharaoh in order to defend and protect his people. And also it's a very generous reading because we don't have the whole part about how he killed the Egyptian. Uh, and it seems more like, as we read the story in Exodus, it seems more like Moses is just reacting out of fear than, than responding in faith. And yet, we're given this example that, that Moses chose this status and chose this place of, of, of disgrace, is what we're told here in, in verse 26. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ. He chose, verse 25, he chose to be mistreated along with the people. He chose to identify as an Israelite. He chose to identify as, the, as a Hebrew rather than as a son of Pharaoh. And this is the example that that we're given for what does it mean for us to have faith. And, and again, the context of what our author is talking about, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32, remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you endured a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. Because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. We see this letter to the Hebrews. Here's what they have been experienced. You've lost. You've suffered. You haven't just suffered yourself, but you've suffered alongside others. Even to the point of your property and possessions being taken from you. This is the level of loss. And, and our author is saying, look, look at the example of Moses who also suffered loss and did so willingly in order to remain faithful to the things that God has call, had called him to do. He took a look at his life. He took a look at his privilege. He took a look at the status that he had, the wealth that he had. 
And yet, we're told that he, in, in examining all of that, he realized that there was something far greater, far better than any of those things, and he was willing to give it up. He was, we're, we're using this word, verse 26, regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ. And we see this, we're going to see this word again in chapter 13, verse 13. Let us then go to him outside the camp bearing the disgrace that he bore. Speaking of Jesus here, the disgrace that Jesus bore is the example for which Moses, or for which we then can, can embrace and, and enjoy or bear the disgrace that may come upon us when we live faithfully. The example, the thing, the thing that we're being called to is what, what Jesus says in Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 8, if anyone wants to come after me, follow me. He must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And the question is, what does this really mean for us? What does it mean to really deny yourself? Because if you've been around Christianity for a little while, you've probably heard that verse, you've heard that phrase before. Jesus says that, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. We've been talking in Hebrews chapter 11, looking at, at these men of faith, Noah, who goes out and he builds an ark. And, and the regular act of faith that it took for him to be doing this work that just didn't make any sense. Looking at the world around him, he was, for years he was, he was spending built, constructing this piece of wood. And there's no rain. And yet it's an act of faith. I'm talking about Abraham who goes to the place, he just begins walking. He says, God tells him, when it's time to stop, I'll tell you to stop. And he just goes and he follows. And oftentimes, when we are invited to step in faith, we can't always explain to others what it is that we're doing. It doesn't really make sense to other people. Sometimes it doesn't even make sense to us why we're doing what we're doing, other than a sense that this is something that God is calling me to right now and in this place. Sometimes it doesn't make sense to our world when we make certain choices about how we're going to raise our children or spend our time or invest our money, invest our time. It doesn't make sense to them, and yet we can have a sense that this, this is who God has called us to be. And so we're going to take a Sunday morning and gather each week to worship together because we believe that there is a value to this that, that somebody looking at the outside might say, I don't get it. Like, why do you do that? Or that we're going to choose to teach our children certain things or that we're going to choose to 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 vacation in a certain way or that we're going to choose to not spend money on on certain activities because they're just not helpful or we're going to choose to be more generous these things may not make sense to others and sometimes it may not make sense to us but the invitation of moses and the invitation of jesus is to carry a cross and he's not talking about things that don't actually cost us Sometimes when we, when we think of this idea of, of what does it mean to sort of 
resist against the powers and resist against the king and, and to forsake those things. Sometimes that leads towards maybe a little bit of a sense of self-righteousness, that look at, look at what I'm doing. And I, you know, the world out there, they're making poor choices, and, and, it, and it helps us feel pretty good about ourselves to say, well, I'm being faithful. And I'm, but this isn't, this isn't what our author is calling us to. He's calling us towards disgrace. He's calling us towards things that actually cost, that, that might bring about shame and pain and hurt in our lives, and yet we're making choices that cost, that have a real cost to them. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, this is a passage that has, has stuck with me. I don't know, it's just a really small passage. I've never heard a sermon on it. But it, it's, it strikes me every time I read through Second Corinthians. Here comes right at the end. Paul is talking about, he's been defending his ministry. He's been, been defending who he is as an apostle and, and his right to, to continue to be doing this ministry. And, and just this little verse in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7. Now we pray to God that you will not do anything wrong. Not that people will see that we have stood the test, but that you will do what is right, even though we may seem to have failed. And I read a verse like that, and I think, like, could I, could I possibly say that to myself? Like, would I be okay if everyone else thought I was a failure, but in the Lord's eyes... Like I had succeeded. What is it that what is it that I hold on to that I still need to have? Um, each each Sunday we gather and we we put things in the offering plate, put our envelope or our check or our cash into the offering plate. And I th- I I've been thinking about this week. What are the things that are hard for me to give? Like if God is calling me to deny myself. And take up the cross and follow him. What are the parts of myself that I still kind of want to hang on to? What are the things that, that I say, okay, God, I can give you that, but, but not this. I mean, I think uh, finances, like, right? like what if God asked me not just to give a little bit, but what if, what if he were to ask for more? Could I, could I give? What if it's uh, my relationships, my connection, my attachment to technology, right? Uh, the stuff, what if it's my car, my home? Could I give those things? Could I, put, could I put those things in the offering plate? What is it that he is asking of us? Is there something that, that if, I were to, if I were to step back and, and answer honestly and, and God were to show up at my home tomorrow in a dream or something and say, Gary, here's the thing that you need to give. Uh, this, I want you to give this up. Is there something that I would say, actually, I'm not giving that. I can't. But the invitation is not just our phones and our wallets and our keys. Um, the invitation is all of us, right? He doesn't want just part of us. I can't do that for very long. Uh, he doesn't want just part of us. He wants the whole thing. And 
And that includes all of the small things, all of the little things that say, oh, yeah, I could give that. But what about the things that if we step back and say, I'm not ready to give that. Jesus tells a couple of parables in Matthew chapter 13, and we'll end here. Matthew 13, there's two parables, three, three short verses here. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. And what Jesus is telling us here, and what I think we have a hard time recognizing, and I know, again, I warned you at the beginning, this is not easy for us. But the reminder here that Jesus is giving us is that a life of faith that pursues God no matter what, that, that takes up a cross, that denies all of it, is worth it. He says it's, it's like a man who's, who's going out into a field and he finds a treasure in that field. And the treasure that he's found is so much more valuable than everything that he owns that he dumps it so that he can have enough to buy the field and have the thing that is even worth more. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. He's out looking for fine pearls. And he finds one that's worth so much that he sells everything he has so that he can own the pearl. And he's saying, this is what it means to follow after me. And then everything that, you, everything that I have that I cling to and I say, I don't know if I could give that up. I mean, if I'm really honest, that the invitation is that it's this thing that this life that God has to offer us is not a chore. It's gonna it's gonna hurt. It's gonna. I mean, look at the people in Hebrews. You may you may suffer. It may be painful, but the the whole point of this is that the joy of the life that God has for you is worth is worth it. And the question, the question for each of us today is, is what is it that God is saying that to? That thing that you're clinging to, that too. Uh, if you're, if you're going to fall after me, if you want the life that I have to offer you, you're going to have to be willing to give up that too. And when we do so, I mean, you, you read these parables the the people who are buying the field and buying the pearl they're not upset about it right they found something better and i don't know what that looks like for you i don't know what it looks like for you today um, but whatever it is that as we've been talking and we've been working through this passage that the lord has been laying on your heart 
saying, yeah, that too. Um, my prayer is that that you may at least begin to, with open hands, say, yes, God, you can have that too. And in doing so, you find a treasure greater than anything you've ever known. Let's pray. God, uh, as we as we reflect on what it means to follow in faith, and we reflect on the lives that you have given us and, and the good things that you have brought our way, we also know our tendency as sinful humans is to turn those things into idols and to worship them rather than worship you. And to see them as the things that bring us salvation, the things that bring us life, and the things that bring us meaning, rather than gifts from you, who is the one who brings us life and salvation and meaning to our lives. And so, that's our prayer today. It's my prayer today, and and I hope our prayer together, that whatever it is that we are clinging to, that we have made into idols, that we can cast them into the offering plate, that we can give them to you so that we can live more faithfully and more fully the lives that you have for us. We pray this in your name. Amen. We are singing that song. I just want to remind you that as we talk about what it means to carry our own cross, a reminder that that God is not asking any more of you in order to have a relationship with him. The things that we're talking about this morning are not demands on your life in order to find salvation in our God. Uh, That work has already been done on the cross. But the invitation to carry our own cross is an invitation to find life uh, not in the idols that we possess and cling to, but find life in the one who carried the cross as well. And that as we follow after him, in, in what seems like loss, when we surrender the things that we cling to, we find actually that, that there is life there as well. And so my hope this morning as we have talked is that if, if you have not put your faith in, in Christ and his cross, that you do so this morning. And as we all continually put our faith in him again and again, daily trusting him, that we may realize that the other things that we're clinging to are worth getting rid of as well. Go in peace.